Hey everyone, I'm your host, Allie, and welcome to Behold Women at the Table. Behold is a community of women dedicated to beholding Jesus to transform the world around them. We want to pursue God's heart, create positive change, and commit to our God-given destinies with passion and joy. So continue listening for our newest episode. Well, Behold fam, we are back, and we're continuing our study on the patriarchs. So a few weeks ago, we learned a lot about the life of Abraham, and it's wild because I'm sure there's even more we can learn from his life and story. But this week, we're continuing with Abraham's promised son, Isaac. Surprisingly enough, after studying and reading through Genesis, there wasn't much on Isaac. I mean, don't get me wrong, he for sure has his stories, but Abraham and Jacob seem to dominate the stories of the patriarchs. So we do see Isaac's story start at his birth in Genesis 21. Genesis 21 verses 1 through 3 says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. So Isaac, the promised son to a barren Sarah and an aged Abraham, is born into the world exactly as the Lord had spoken. Isaac's earliest days aren't recorded from his point of view, but rather we see them from Abraham's point of view. We see the sacrifice of Isaac, which is the ultimate test of Abraham's faith, which I'm not going to lie, I would legitimately pay for Isaac's point of view in this situation. But Genesis 24 really seems to be the point in the story where the main character now shifts from Abraham to Isaac. And this chapter ironically focuses on finding Isaac a wife. So Genesis 24 starts off with now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. This is kind of wild to me. Because Abraham had to sojourn all throughout the land that was promised to him by God. And this included leaving it and going to Egypt while there was a famine. But for some reason, he's incredibly emphatic about Isaac staying in the promised land. Isaac is not allowed by Abraham to go to Hebron. And Isaac is required to stay because of God's promises in the land. Isaac is not to leave Canaan to be married. Here, I think we really begin to see the importance of the land. Now that Abraham's lineage is solidified and he will now have the opportunity to become the great nation that the Lord had promised him he would be, 
we see Abraham focus on the land that God had promised him. And a lot of Isaac's story has to do with the importance of the land, the physical territory of the promise. So the story continues on in Genesis 24. And I think this is really interesting because when we talk about the physical aspects of the Lord's promises, I mean, here we have a really, really great example of the Lord speaking so specifically, the Lord speaking and, and really setting boundaries to where, the, the, where they would dwell, what would be their promised land. And I, I just think it's a really important thing to point out that a lot of times we can get so afraid about the specifics of the Lord, but the reality is that he does speak in specifics. There are physical components to the promises that he speaks over us. And those physical territories that we are called to inhabit are just as important as the spiritual territories we're called to inhabit as a result of the words that he's spoken over us. So the story continues on in Genesis 24, and in a really amazing way, the servant lays out really specific things for the Lord to reveal to him who Isaac's wife would be. The Lord provides in all of those ways. And there we meet Rebecca. The servant goes back to Rebecca's house and we meet her brother Laban, who will come back up in Jacob's story. And ultimately, the servant shares the situation with Rebecca and Rebecca is given the choice to return with him or not. She decides to return with the servant who's literally ready to return back to the promised land as soon as possible. And in Genesis 24, verses 63 to 67, we read of their first meeting. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So at this point, Abraham is still alive. And I think what's so beautiful about this portion of scripture and the timing is that Abraham was able to see the potential of the promise. Abraham was able to see the potential of the promise developing before his eyes. He was able to see the tangible faithfulness of God. After this, Abraham passes, and we read in Genesis 25 that Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, and that after Abraham's death, God blessed Isaac. The promise now moves on from Abraham to Isaac, and Sarah is succeeded by a new wife who will become the mother of the next heir of the promise. I want us to circle back to Genesis 25, 21 real quick, and that's the birth of Esau and Jacob. And it says, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. So we already talk about how Abraham was kind of there for this birth and how that was this really cool and amazing thing. But I think it's so interesting looking at this scripture because we get all of the details of Abraham and Sarah's waiting season. We know the time frames. We read all of their struggles in between the blessings and the promises from the Lord. And what we don't see in Isaac and Rebecca's story is just that. 
I just think this is such an incredibly important point. The long wait for Isaac and Rebecca is barely visible. And I think we can learn from that, that some waiting seasons are for others to see and others are for us and the Lord. We have to discern what type of waiting season we're walking in. Are we in a waiting season where we're bringing people into it, asking for prayer and accountability, speaking the promises of God to our friends to remind us he will be faithful? Or are we in a waiting season that the Lord is calling us to shut our mouth in? Are we in a waiting season just with him that he is saying, let me show my faithfulness to you in a different way? I've been in both seasons for different promises at different times, and I've also been in both seasons at various points of walking through waiting seasons. I think it's important to point out, though, because we must discern the type of waiting season that we're in. For the past few years, I've been wrestling with this one promise from God, and I've had high moments and very low moments with it. For a few years at the beginning, I felt a freedom to bring some close friends into the struggle and the journey with me. I would text them to pray for me. They would encourage me with scripture and encourage me when I was feeling hopeless about it. They were there to process with and walk me through the low valleys of waiting and hoping for breakthrough. More recently, for that same promise, I've found that there isn't the same freedom or grace to bring people into the process of it. Lately, I've felt that it's something to work out very intimately with the Lord. So personally, I love that we don't see the entirety of Isaac and Rebecca's waiting season because the reality is some waiting seasons aren't for everyone to hear about. Some waiting seasons are meant to be in intimacy with the Lord and spent developing a secret history with Him. I think it's also important to point out that sometimes we can make an idol out of waiting seasons. And so Isaac and Rebecca's life kind of points to this idea that the waiting season isn't the point. The point is God is faithful and God is faithful to Isaac and Rebecca to continue the lineage and to give them sons. We don't know how long Isaac and Rebecca waited for children and we don't know the timeline of their prayer life. But one thing we do know is that they prayed and the Lord came through on his promise. So next up in the story of Isaac, Rebecca gives birth to Esau and Jacob. This story is an amazing one, and there's such richness there that I'm excited to dive into with you on the next podcast. But I do want to point out one thing here. Jacob and Esau were born 15 years before Abraham died. I had mentioned it earlier. It's all too easy for me to read this story and just take Abraham out because his story seems to be done. But the reality speaks to the beauty of generational faith. Jacob and Esau were able to grow up in an environment surrounded by their grandfather's faith. Abraham, who was messy but faithful. Abraham, who heard the voice of God and went as he said. This Abraham was a part of Jacob and Esau's lives. Now the story continues in Genesis 26 verses 1 through 5. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, 
and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. What's cool here is that we're hearing of the famine, we're experiencing lack with Isaac, but we're also experiencing blessing. There's blessing because of generational obedience. When God references the blessing because of Abraham's obedience, it's now carried on to Isaac's life. And I feel like Isaac's life really speaks to how we don't have to build from nothing. We build from the generation before us. Family is beautiful for this very reason. You know, we don't come into the story of God just having to recreate everything. We come in to the family of God and we hear of the faith of the generations before us. We see the tangible reality of what the generations before us have done and have sowed into. And so I really love this because I believe it speaks to that generational faith. We also see God promise to be with Isaac here. And according to my commentary, this is the first instance where God promises to be with someone. I think that's so amazing. Could you imagine the pressure that Isaac must have felt as the son of Abraham? Could you imagine all that that had entailed? From his almost sacrifice to all the obedience he saw from his own father, I can imagine it being a little overwhelming stepping into those shoes. But Isaac does it. He steps in as the patriarch and we see God promise to be with him through the famine. And lastly, Something I love about this portion of scripture is that it shows again that God is faithful, even relentless, in fulfilling his promise. A famine doesn't deter the Lord from fulfilling his promises. Just like seasons in and out of location in the promised land don't deter him from keeping his word. It's so easy for me to get so caught up in my timelines and in my perceived layout of the promise. We can become so fixated on what we think we need rather than allowing the possibility of a larger perspective than our own. I'm sure Isaac was comfortable in the promised land. If he couldn't leave the land to find a wife, I wonder how he felt about the famine forcing him to move. But God was expanding his perspective just like he expands our perspectives. Sometimes we can be so committed to trying to make everything work out our way that we miss the way that God is shaping and molding the story. The reality is that God is completely relentless in fulfilling his promise. His fulfillment of promises don't make him faithful. He is faithful. And because he is faithful, he fulfills his promises. He cannot turn on his own word. But a lot of times our perception of the promise and his promise are totally different. Seasons in and out of location in the promised land don't deter him from keeping his word. His character doesn't change just because our location changes or because we experience a famine. His character remains steadfast. So Genesis 26 continues on in verse 6 with, So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah his wife. 
So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. We see Isaac mess up just like Abraham. And what a facepalm moment for me. Like, did you not learn, Isaac? Here we see a glimpse of generational sin, namely lying. And I want to point out the beautiful part about this is that it shows that the patriarchs are human. In the first podcast episode of this mini-series, I pointed out that so often I can look at the lives of the patriarchs and I can almost deify them. I can change my words around to say I want to be exactly like them. You know, ultimately, their lives are not ones I should emulate. Their faith is. Their lives shouldn't point me not to changing my character to be more like them. Rather, their lives should constantly point me back to God. I should be encouraged that they are humans just like me. That Isaac has the propensity to sin as much as I do. Him being a patriarch doesn't make him superhuman. It doesn't make him larger than life. But what it does make him is someone who believed and trusted God regardless. I'm going to share a ton of scripture next, so bear with me here. But next up in the story of Isaac, we learn about him digging the wells. So wells he had to dig, wells that were filled, and wells that his father dug. And there's so many lessons we can get from this portion of scripture that I really want to share with you. So Genesis 26 continues in verse 12 with, And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna, and he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzeth, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm. 
Just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of this city is Beersheba to this day. Okay, a lot to unpack here. But what I want to direct our attention to is this. All of the wells that are mentioned that Isaac is digging. We already know from Abraham that wells were indicative of possession. So digging a well in the promised land meant, hey, this is mine. It was a way to leave a tangible mark on what was promised to them. And there's three specific wells that are mentioned here. The first is wells of the generations. Wells dug by Abraham had already been filled and he had to redig them. The second are wells of tension. The Philistines were inhabiting the land promised to him. And the third are wells of favor. We see here this wellspring of life, these new wells, new territory, a constant source of flowing water, and it indicated God's blessings. So I want to take each of these and kind of expound on them a bit and see how they apply to our lives. So when we're talking about the promises that God has spoken to us, I genuinely believe that there are certain quote-unquote wells we are called to dig. The wells that were dug by Abraham had already been filled. And Isaac's responsibility was to redig the wells. This may seem crazy. I think a lot of times it's easy to look at the past and see what our spiritual mothers and fathers have done and just leave it there, moving forward into brand new things. But when we get saved, when we give our lives to Jesus and we are drafted into this spiritual lineage, we're drafted into a spiritual family. We hear a lot about the baton being passed on to us and us passing the baton on at the right time. And with that baton comes a certain level of responsibility. What am I graded into? How am I engaging in the lineage of my spiritual mothers and fathers? Am I taking up a shovel and re-digging wells? I also think it's important to realize that there are just some wells we aren't meant to redig. Discernment comes in, and in prayer, we ask the Lord for awareness over what wells do need to be redug. So the second well that Isaac had to dig was wells of tension. We're wild if we don't think that the promises from God are going to come with a healthy level of tension. Isaac was stuck in a situation where he was claiming ownership of the promise, but there were Philistines living in the land. Isaac had to come against the enemy in the midst of his promise. I don't think every time God promises us something that equates to smooth sailing until we get there. There are going to be enemies and there is going to be tension and we are going to have to persevere through that. You know, James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So it's those wells of tension that we dig that ultimately produce that steadfastness in us. It produces character and hope within us. And the third type of well we're called to dig in the promised land is the well of favor, an indication of God's blessing in our lives. God's favor is a beautiful thing, 
and we know that when we're walking in his favor and his blessing. Isaac had to go through the time of digging wells of tension to get to the place where he was digging wells that were accompanied with ease and with favor. In our own lives, I think we can see this. The promised land doesn't mean ease. Just look at the Israelites. They had to go into their promised land and fight battles throughout it. Through those battles, though, our strength and endurance is developed. And ultimately, steadfastness is developed in us. But we have to persevere through those moments. But not everything in the promised land is meant to be a struggle. We'll also experience favor just like Isaac did. So the scripture then jumps 40 years and Genesis 27 talks about Isaac blessing his son, Jacob. Isaac wasn't exactly the picture of a perfect dad. He had his favorite son and his favorite son was Esau. Because Esau was his favorite, Isaac wanted to bless him regardless of the prophecy about Jacob. In Genesis 24, 1 through 4, it says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Isaac's desire to bless Esau ran counter to the prophecy given to Rebekah in Genesis 25, verse 23, and to the bitterness Esau brought into his life in Genesis 26, verse 35. Isaac's hunger in the moment overruled his better judgment as he intended to act counter to God's will. Isaac was also admitting his own sinful desire to give to Esau the blessing God intended for Jacob. Ultimately, we do know that Rebekah and Jacob deceive Isaac and Jacob gets the promise as intended. But we also again see the humanity of Isaac here and the faithfulness of God. So overall, there are three lessons I want to point out that we can learn from the life of Isaac. First is that some waiting seasons are for others to see and others are purely between us and the Lord but we have to discern what type of waiting season we're in. Second is that God is faithful, even relentless in fulfilling his promises. And the third is that the promises of God come with responsibility on our part. So we do have to take action. The action that Isaac had to take came in the form of digging wells. So my question for you then is what wells is the Lord asking you to dig today? And that's all I have for you guys. So I hope you enjoyed this bit of teaching on Behold Women at the Table. And I'll see you all next time as we dive into the life of Jacob. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Behold Women. And if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe and rate. We'll see you next time on Behold Women at the Table.